Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leiahealthcare.ie. Hello and welcome to Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. We're exploring new ways of work, culture and inclusion in the workplace with a range of expert interviewees. On this edition, we'll be asking whether hybrid working is a silver bullet. Coming up, Donald Carney of Grow Remote on the growth of remote working and its impact on local communities. And Ibex Maeve McElwee gives us insight into the feelings of employers as the hybrid working model evolves. But first, it's a pleasure to welcome Sinead Prost to the News Talk studio. She's the head of health and well-being at Leia Healthcare. Sinead, welcome to the programme and thanks for coming in to talk to us. Thank you, Vincent. Good to be here. Now, as you know, we're, we are focusing on, on the whole concept of hybrid working and how it's been growing in the, in the, in the wake of, of the COVID pandemic. Um, we know a lot of people have gone through a lot of stress, both in their personal lives and their working lives because of, of the pandemic and now with the inflation and cost of living crisis. Is hybrid working the greater uh, preponderance of hybrid working and greater flexibility in people's lives, in their working lives? Is that helping to mitigate some of those concerns and anxieties in the workplace? Absolutely. But it's not a silver bullet, right? So I think that's where we can start the debate or the discussion, which is fascinating. And I think, you know, we're basing this off nationally representative research, over a thousand employees, 200 plus business owners and HR leaders So we get a really good representative understanding of what's happening in Ireland. And this is our fourth wave of research. And as you said, you know, we started this when we entered into lockdown, Mm. you know, when Leo Varadkar announced in the the US on the 12th of March, you know, we're going into lockdown and it's only going to be for a few weeks. Mm. And we had no clue what was ahead of us, right? So we started doing the research to understand what was happening. And at the time, we were forced into remote working not by choice, but because of a global health crisis, right? Mm. So isolation, loss of connection, impact on culture, impact over time, and we'll, we'll talk to that a little bit more, hopefully, on mental health, has certainly made employers, business owners rethink the workplace and rethink what are the policies we now need to have to give people that flexibility that they value but also ensure that they're together for innovation culture. So really, really interesting to see how that's evolving right now in the workplace. And, and your survey, which I think was taken in the autumn, it's very recent. Um, your survey shows that a sizable, according to, to the people uh, surveyed, a sizable, a sizable minority of employers don't have a policy in place yet for, for remote working, for hybrid working. And, and that can cause anxiety in its own right, can't it? Hugely. And I found that fascinating, right? Because... The pandemic has taught us that people can work remotely. Not only can they work remotely and do their jobs, but productivity increased by Mm. 20%. Uh, We talked last year about parenting from work. This was the new phenomenon where we continued to work from home. And in many cases, the brunt was borne on women. Uh, especially young mums and younger people, young mums because they had to juggle the parenting and young people because they felt isolated, they didn't have that connection. We're already 18 months later, Vincent. Okay, so companies need to kind of wake up and realise that this is what's being valued. Really interesting, the research, right? For the first time ever, well-being, so work-life balance, let's equate that to well-being, is valued just as much as salary. So 61% of those employees interviewed are saying they value well-being 
60% salary as the number one motivation for them to stay in their job right now, which is, which is really telling. And you mentioned mental health earlier. Uh, a quarter of those surveyed, I think, you know, both HR professionals and employees feel that their, their mental health, they would categorise their mental health as poor. And I'm sure it deteriorated during, yeah. during the pandemic and, and as we hopefully leave it now. Yeah, so this is really interesting, right? So we actually did a second pulse in 2021, so six months later, because we could start to see the impacts that this remote working was having on mental, and not just remote working, also workers on the front line, healthcare workers, those who had to continue working, who were burning out, you know, they were going into a workplace that was considered unsafe if they hadn't been vaccinated, right? So we have to remember it's not just about those working remotely, really starting to take its toll on mental health. And I think the biggest shift we've seen in this piece of research is what was driving it was that isolation, that lack of connection, the, the kind of the burnout, okay, that, mm. that was really manifesting. But now it's really been driven by the cost of living crisis. So it's kind of we've come out of the pan and into the fire. So four out of the five reasons for that quarter, so you've really read the report, which is great, mm. um, is is driven by cost of living crisis. And that doesn't have anything to do with the workplace. That I was is, just going to say, what, see? what can employers do about that? <laughs> Again, it's the flexibility, right? So if you think about it, right, um, petrol, diesel, we started to see those prices go up for, first, okay? So employees were going, I've got an employer who's telling me I need to come back into the office. I can do my job perfectly fine from home. In fact, they're probably getting more out of me, right? I don't have a commute. I'm not taking breaks, which, by the way, is not good for health. But nonetheless, they had a very, very strong argument. So if if an employee can still do their job at home, an employer really needs to think about, like they're putting a stress on them if they're, if there's a financial burden on them coming into the office. So are you suggesting that a lot of employees who may have the, the potential or the flexibility to work in either place, either at home or in the office, who on the one hand perhaps feel they need to get back into the office at least for two or three days a week, uh, just for the social aspects of it, to be recognised, to make sure they're part of, of the company as it moves forward. On the other hand, now they're being torn the other way by the increased costs of going back even on a temporary basis. Spot on, right? So what we're seeing is the ideal coming from the research is two to three days in the office, Two to, three, two to three days working remotely. Um, really, really interesting, right? Allowing teams of people to choose the days when being together is better for business. Being together is better for culture. Being together is better for innovation. Those chance encounters, those water cooler moments, they're the things that spark innovation. You can hear it coming into the studio this morning. You can hear the buzz of people saying, yeah, I've got, I've got a piece of information here. And, you know... That we put that on specially for you this morning. Oh, thank you, Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> I felt it. But that doesn't happen working remotely. You can't engineer that, right? Now, you still have to get work done. You still have to read reports, write, I don't know, do your administration. So having the balance there is good for business, but it's also really good for employee well-being. And right now, people are saying they're really struggling financially, okay? Money concerns, inflation worries, um, they just don't have ha- as much money in their pocket now as they did last year. So giving them flexibility where they value it, but also expecting that as an employer is where businesses and people are going to win. 
So what's what's the blueprint to try and mitigate or address uh, this new suite of anxieties that people have because of, of the cost of living and, and how that mingles with, with, with the hybrid working model. And we'll be talking to Maeve McElwee uh, in this podcast as well from the employer's perspective. Uh, at, at the very least, a policy is required by each employer uh, as the situation involves. Secondly, and, and I suppose you would argue this, wouldn't you, from Leah Healthcare, that you know there needs to be a thought of the kind of health and well-being support programmes that are there for people. You do, I, you've summarised this so well, right? I mean, I would say first and foremost, read the report, right? It's a, you don't have to be a member of Lay Healthcare. It's on our website. Now, I have to say it's on our website and then there's a it's Lay Healthcare forward slash workplace wellbeing because if you just go on the website, you'll probably see a lot about health insurance and you mightn't find it. So make sure you do the forward slash workplace wellbeing. That's for free. There's so much more in there. Like we're only scratching the surface, Yeah, a lot Vincent. of great detail there. Great then, yeah. detail, yeah. like, you know, inclusion, diversity, culture, um, women, young people. How do we how do we help? How do we help? Right. That's that's what I'm hoping with this podcast, that we help people. Um, then the second thing is have some sort of a health and well-being strategy before you ever start with your policy. So really understand what your people value, you know, and you do not need big budgets for this. I think there's this thing like, oh, you know, that's for the Microsofts or that's for the Metas mm. or, you know, the big tech companies who have the ping pong table and the snooker table and all. That's not what this is about. This is about people's health, right? So really understand what they value. You know, some of them will value salary more than well-being fine, but that you can't have that one policy for everybody. Well-being is really, really valued, which equates to flexible working, work-life balance. Really understand that and then develop your policies. And I think you will need three policies. I think you will need people who want to still come into the office full time. It's actually a tiny minority if they can work flexibly or work from home. But you have to remember the home place may not be a safe place for them. Mm. Okay, The home place may be an expensive place for them right now due to heating, electricity, whatever that is. Um they might feel lonely. They may be living on their own. The workplace may be that wonderful place for them. It is a minority, but let's make sure that we have that for them. I think the flexible, the hybrid working is definitely something that you have to have a policy for now. So just start it. Um, and then having a fully remote policy. But actually, I was talking to a gentleman in here while I was waiting and he's going to talk about housing. And uh, he was saying, you know, he has a colleague who has to come into the office two days a week and his office is in Dublin, but his team is in Wexford. And I was saying, well, that's bonkers because he needs to be with his team. So he probably would benefit from having a remote working policy, but then having to see his team maybe twice a month. And that would also benefit the organisation. So really understand where the value is for the employee, but then as an employer, where that can benefit your organisation. And finally, perhaps, Sinead, you you said that you don't necessarily need a big budget to to put the health and wellness of your employees front and foremost. Give us a kind of an example of the types of programmes that, that are out there from Leia, for instance, that, okay. you know, and, and, and broadly speaking, perhaps for, for, you know, the most, most basic programme, what kind of cost you might be talking about? OK, so like the most basic programme, I think, is an employee assistance programme. I think every employer should have it. It's probably around... You, you will actually probably gasp when you hear how cheap, I shouldn't say this, but... Um, reasonable. Reasonable. Good value. Depending on the volume of your organisation, it's somewhere between 7 and 15 euros per person for the year. Okay. 
what is that, two Starbucks coffees? Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's that's kind of right. You will get access to 24-7 mental well-being support. Right. You'll get access to through Leia Healthcare. It's clinically governed. So when you phone up anytime, you get listened to by a clinical psychologist or psychotherapist. And they're going to listen to you, Vincent, in the moment. And if they can help you, they will there and then. And it could just be that you need to vent to somebody. It could just be that you have a relationship issue and you really needed to talk to somebody who wasn't a manager or a friend. Or they will listen to you and say, you know what, you could benefit for some, from some counselling, maybe talking to a psychotherapist. Or if it has nothing to do with mental health, but it has to do with financial worries or career worries or legal worries or parenting worries, things that keep you awake at night, you will get access to that expertise. Unlimited 24-7 for two cups of coffee. I mean, come on, like that's nothing, right? The other things you can totally do for free are care about your people. Ask them how they're doing and then ask them again. This was the classic Talk thing. and listen. Talk and listen. Give them an extra day off. Give them a wellness day. You know, last year we saw that. So last January, this was the second wave of research. The average amount of overtime was 22 hours a month. People at the time were really finding it difficult to disconnect. They were feeling isolated. They couldn't talk to their employer. We started to see our EAP programme go up 8%, 9%, 10%, 11% utilisation, which is brilliant. They were using the supports. Okay. Then we started to see the right to disconnect legislation coming in and getting the nod. I've got to wrap up. But uh, the right to disconnect legislation coming in. And we started to see that ability for people to kind of sit up and say, I can actually have a conversation with my manager. This isn't right. And that 22 hours reduced to 14 hours. And now that's at seven hours. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Great advice and great <laughs> in, uh, great insights there in a world where hybrid working is here to stay, perhaps even to increase, but is not a silver bullet in all cases and uh, needs support in, in, in all cases as well. Sinead Pro's Head of Health and Wellbeing at Leia Healthcare. Thanks for coming into us. Thank you, Vincent. We're joined now by Maeve McElwee, Director of Employer Relations at the employer's body, IBEC. Maeve, we're talking about hybrid working uh, from all sorts of perspectives uh, today, from a health and wellness perspective, from an employee perspective. What's the situation from an employer perspective? I, I noticed that two relatively recent surveys that you've done of your employer members, hybrid working is here to stay and perhaps will become more prevalent. Yeah, definitely, Vincent. I think lots of employers are exploring the opportunities that hybrid working can offer to them, um, both from recruitment and retention, but also really from broadening the spread of candidates who might be available, looking at that from a diversity and inclusion perspective, but also even just keeping an eye on that work-life balance for people um, as health and wellness obviously figures very highly for employees, but also for employers as well, because somebody who's well and in in good form and well engaged is obviously in a much better place to be able to engage and be productive in the workplace. What are the issues from an employer's perspective in trying to to manage hybrid working well, both from the, the company's point of view, the business's point of view and the employee's point of view? And, and we've heard Sinead, Pros and others uh, outlining some of the anxieties that people might have working at home on, on a, either a full or, 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 or part time basis. Lots of challenges for employers in this space. So obviously, um, employment is a hugely regulated area. So when you're looking at things like 
um, health and well-being and good engagement. First of all, you've got to keep in mind to all of the regulations. So for an employer, you've got all of your occupational health and safety obligations. So that extends beyond making sure that you've got an ergonomically sound desk. Your employer is responsible for you in your place of work. And if that's home or if it's in some other external office environment, the responsibility sits with your employer. Everything from data security, which again is a huge issue for employers and um, depending on your living circumstances, we have to be very clear that you have safe access to all of the information mm. that you need, that that can be kept secure, but also that you know we have cybersecurity uh, issues in place as well. So they're all really critically important. And then in terms of the individual, um, you know, the real challenges for employers around this is how do you make it work? So, you know, we talk about the fact that we've been working in a hybrid way f- since the beginning of the pandemic, but that's actually not true at all. When everybody worked remotely, there was a much more level playing pitch and it was much easier. Everybody had their own little square on the screen. Now, what we find in a hybrid world is that you've got maybe a collective of people who are in an office or in a room and people who are still individually in their own little squares on your screen. And it's about being able to manage those communications and ensure that people are you know, getting the same information at the same time, that they have the same understanding of what's happening Um you know, I suppose, in parallel with people who are in the office. So the real challenge is, you know yourself when you've had a conversation around a table in a conference room or in a any type of a, a, a meeting room, that conversation tends to extend beyond the end of the meeting and you get into the chit chat, but it might actually move into another space of a question that comes up that gets answered. But the people who left the meeting remotely have now left that meeting remotely. Mm. So really important to think about some of those management issues. How do you catch those people up? Do you just get a view of the room, which means that you no longer get to see the faces of the individuals who are in the room? If you're remote, you're looking at a room with maybe eight or nine people in it and you can see the other people who are virtually much more clearly than you can see the expression on the faces of eight people sitting around a conference table, for example. So that in itself can be quite exclusionary. So these are all challenges that we have to learn about. We have to learn new ways of working in a remote environment. And I think for lots of employers at this stage, we're really in that test and perfect. And what we've seen is that lots of employers who began in a situation of saying, you know, we'll do two days in and three days out or three days in and two days out, now beginning to see that that's actually not working at all. Well, I was just going to put that to you, that, you know, for for all those reasons that you outlined there, uh, both on the in terms of of making sure that the the home working space is, is safe, uh, all the sec- cybersecurity concerns from people not working in the office, uh, and then the the communications issues where people, some people are in, in situ, some people are not. There are costs, both hard costs and soft costs, associated with all of that. I would have thought that in an ideal world, employers would like to get back to the old ways, where hybrid is perhaps more the exception than the rule. I don't think so. I mean, absolutely, cost is an issue. I think the biggest issue for employers really is around um, making sure that it works for the business so that you actually have a hybrid model that works for the business, delivers what the business needs. Um, But recruitment and retention is a really big cost. People who are not engaged, uh, you know, are a a big cost to the, the, the workplace. So for employers, if you can find a model that works and if hybrid is it, 
then I don't think employers are trying to move away from it at all. In fact, as I said, it opens up lots of other opportunities. People who mightn't otherwise offer their labour into the labour market, people who might otherwise be too far away to commute and come in five days a week, suddenly you've got a whole pool of people who might Mm. be available to you. So there are pros and cons. Huge pros and cons. And of course, you know, it allows people that opportunity to work in, in different patterns than they might previously have worked. So I don't think employers are trying to move away from it at all. But we do have to have a model that works for everyone. And one of the concerns I think that employers have just at the moment is this is such a new environment. People are inclined to think of themselves and say, it works very well for me and I'm really productive at home. But actually, the reason lots of companies work well and have great organisational cultures is that we're the sum of the parts. You know, when we all come together, it's a different dynamic. And it's important that people come in and make friends and have colleagues um, interact with each other not just for actually the productivity, but for people's mental health and well-being. And we know that that's a huge issue. And we know even pre-pandemic, you know, it's really important that people have those opportunities. Work is more than work. It is a social outlet. It is where lots of us have met our partners over the years. Mm. We've made really good friends and lifelong friends. And that's going to be critical in the long run. And I think that's the reason why employers are keen to have people back in. We know that dynamic makes people happy and comfortable um, and, of course, it drives that performance in the workplace. And finally, Maeve, are you surprised at all that the some of the findings from the, the Layer Healthcare Wellbeing Index that you know up to 25% of employees feel their mental health has deteriorated in the last couple of years, I- including with the hybrid model, and also that a, a sizable minority of, of employers don't have a remote working policy in place yet? Yeah, um, I'm not surprised that a, a sizable... Um, minority of employers don't have a remote working or hybrid working policy in place just yet because it is very new. And again, what we're saying to employers is you really need to test and perfect this a little bit and make sure that it works for your business. And as I was saying earlier, you know, deciding on days, actually, employers are already moving away and saying this is going to have to be operated at team level. We'd have to look at the individual needs of team members. On the mental health piece, yes, we can certainly see that people have had real difficulties over the course of the pandemic. There are challenges around isolation. There are concerns about visibility in the office. And there's a big piece of work that employers and employees need to do about relearning, training and upskilling to work in what's a completely new environment. So hybrid working is here to stay by the looks of it. There are pros and cons and it's 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 a journey that still needs to be perfected in many ways. Long journey to go till we really have the data that sees what works very, very well. But yeah, it's a, it is here to stay and it's a, an iterative process. Maeve McElwee, Director of Employer Relations at IVEC, thanks for coming in to talk to us. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie. Hybrid working is a new concept for a lot of people and with it comes some advantages and disadvantages. The impact of where you work and how you work can have all sorts of impacts on your work-life balance and your general well-being. To help us discuss this topic, I'm joined now by Dean MacDonald, who's a member of the Psychological Society of Ireland. Dean, thanks for talking to us. Hybrid working, it's it's accelerated hugely, obviously, through COVID. Um, is it generally a force for good, in your view? Yes and no. <laughs> So I'm, I'm hoping that you were expecting that kind of an answer. Um, so I thought you were a psychologist, not an economist, oh. <laughs> on the one hand and on the other. <laughs> well, luckily, like the the question is kind of grey in a way, and the well, the answer is is fairly grey. Um, first off, what do we mean by hybrid working? So, in terms of definitions, I've experienced it being referred to as remote working, which had exists existed quite a long time before the pandemic. So, remote work working mainly refers to people where 
there's no specific office. So they, they may be working at home, they may be working elsewhere. So we do have a lot of that research to give us a bit more insight. Um, hybrid working or flexible working, which is kind of what it's referred to as well, is when you have some workforce in a physical location and others are not in a physical location. So they could be anywhere. Um, so the research is quite mixed. In general, we're finding that, yes, it is incredibly positive for numerous reasons. And I'll explain a few then mm. as well. But it's also highlighting a kind of technological poverty as well. Um, so we mentioned before we came in that I'm currently living in Carlo. Um, internet access is fairly okay there, which is which is grand. But you do have places along the West, for example, that I've been to recently and the, the Wi-Fi internet access, the, the digital infrastructure, for example, may not necessarily be as fast as it is in a city like Dublin, for example. So it Although is there are black spots in the city oh, as well, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Walking through some large buildings, it might, might not necessarily click. But so it, it is highlighting quite a number of issues. So we've we've seen kind of in, in the news, we've looked at things like the great resignation after COVID. We've seen so many different things. But instead, what a lot of psychologists are referring to that is more so the kind of like the, the great restructuring or kind of like the great um, reflection. So a lot of people were starting to realize, you know what, I'm at home now. I'm starting to do I like going into the office? And that's kind of sparked this idea of hybrid flexible. Um, so we have a couple of studies which I have kind of looked at quite a bit. And then I have some of my own that I've been exploring as well. So there was one study in 21 that was looking at kind of the, the start mid-COVID. Um, to use the C word, um, they were looking at, and what they found was higher, in general, work-life balance. They found that the hour or two in traffic, for example, coming in in the mornings was a nightmare. So somebody could have been sitting in the car for three hours, for example, on a motorway. And if there wasn't an accident on the road, it might have been a bit quicker, but generally there, there, there might have been. So higher reports of well-being. And I presume just, just while you mentioned commuting and particularly long commuting, Dean, I assume it's not just the waste of time that that can be, but but that kind of commuting is stressful in its own right. Absolutely. Like bumper to bumper or have to make sure, like, did I, are the, are the kids ready to go to school or th- there might be a childminder, for example, at home and just making sure everything is okay. Um, are the kids dressed? Like there's, and not just with that, like a lot of people with caregiving responsibilities would have been in, in that kind of similar. And, and road rage if the guy in front of you or the woman in front of you isn't going as quickly as you want and you're looking at your watch, will I make it this time? Absolutely. All that kind of stuff. So on that front, for those who can avoid commuting at least every day, even if it's only once or twice a day, that's a positive. That is a positive, yeah. And also, it's not just that one person. So it could be the, the number of people that are working hybrid. If, if it was rolled out nationally, for example, which there's going to be implications for that, but there, there won't be as much traffic on the road either. Um, but then that would need a balance of public transport. Again, in cities, it's fine. But there's a lot of issues in terms of national public transport. A lot of people don't actually have access to public transport. Now, what about people who you know are spending two or three days at home? And the, the essence of hybrid, meaning that you're at some stages you're in a, a structured office environment and some stages you're not. Uh, I presume the facility to spend more time with your family, whether it's kids or your parents or, or your wider family and community, I presume, broadly speaking, that's seen as a positive? Very broadly speaking, yes, absolutely. Um, all of a sudden, that extra hour in bed or like even, it might not necessarily even just be that. It's having breakfast with kids. Um, or being able to sit down for lunch with your partner and then going back to work afterwards. So that's that's a beautiful concept. It's absolutely fantastic. We have a lot of research to support that, that it has been very beneficial. But it, on parallel with that, myself um, and Mark Smith, for example, another member of the Psychological Society of Ireland, we carried out some research on therapists, on, on psychologists, about their experience working in this kind of hybrid model using kind of like Zoom or using other kind of tools for, for treatment. 
And basically what we were finding was that it was beneficial. A lot of people found the benefits of it, but having a safe space was one of the biggest challenges. So myself and Maeve Doyle, another um, a psychologist based in SETU, where myself and her are working, um, we're psychologists there. But what we were finding was people that are in caregiving roles didn't have as much of a positive experience as others that, that, that weren't in that, that didn't have those responsibilities. Mainly one of the reasons for that was they didn't have the facilities at home. They may not have had the technologies. They may not have had Enough time. room. Enough room. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of people now are living in studio apartments and that's something that we need to realise as well that there may not be a safe space. So a lot of the students, when we were teaching kind of blended learning, that kind of approach, where it was mostly online, it was literally on, online, a lot of my students didn't have a camera on, which I, I didn't push because it could have been for whatever reason. But towards the kind of the mid of last year, one of the reasons why they didn't have a camera was because they were sitting at the kitchen table and they had family members kind of running in and out mm. and they didn't want to distract me, which was incredibly, like it was nice of them to, to, to be quite considerate, but they didn't have a spot. They were being distracted. The level of learning that might have taken place wasn't as effective as others. So it, it's a resource issue that we may not actually have. And, and there's a number of aspects to that. You know, the environment people are working from, if if they are using their own home, one is that you know they they may not have the physical space if if they've got young kids or if they've got dependent family in some way. The other thing is that just in terms of space, there's no distinct line between your working environment and your living stroke leisure environment. And that can have psychological impact, I assume. Absolutely. And this isn't, yeah, 100%. And like, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. When I was doing my PhD, a lot of the time, um, I was working in my bedroom. So you'd roll out of bed, you'd go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, and then come straight back out. And then you're working literally two feet away from your, your bedroom and a desk. So that is an issue. Um, one of the reasons for that is, one, you're having very minimal social interaction and social, we're, we're incredibly social beings. Um, we need social interaction, which is, and it could be from anywhere, but also you could have been working in your pajamas, you could have been working in anything, any kind of a situation, the environment is still the same. So you don't have that clear separation of um, going somewhere, going to work. So while it is beneficial in quite a number of ways that you have a little bit more free time, um, your work effective, you're working a little bit more effectively, um, you're efficient, um, which again, the research supports. But again, there's that aspect of poverty that if you don't have a space to do it in, you're working from your bedroom, which then can actually increase stress, anxiety. And and there's a spatial aspect to, to working from home part, part of the time through the week. Uh, there's also a, a time element of it that it may give you more flexibility in terms of how you spend your day, how you how you have time to interact with, with your family or do the things that your family needs, the days you're at home. But there may also be an element of that you're never quite sure when you can switch off. Um, and and, and the, the, the Leia Healthcare Wellbeing Index that we've referenced right through this series shows uh, people saying that they believe their level of, of, of trust with their employer and their level of productivity has increased, but that a lot of employers don't have defined when to switch off policies or defined remote working policies, which can have... I suppose, underlying uh, stress effect. Absolutely. If you're continuously kind of switched on, it, and it's very hard to turn off naturally. So, like, for example, what one thing that in where I work in SETU, um, we have no emails after five. Um, so it's entirely possible that we will send an email after five, but we'll use that timed situation. So you can say, I want this to send at eight in the morning or nine in the morning. So there is... Or a message to say, you don't need to get back to me on this immediately. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, like, there are kind of higher up options of being able to say, well, this is coming from a top-down level. 
So there are a lot of supports there. But in terms of um, like, oh, it continues being switched on. Yeah, like if a lot of people have their work phone on them and they didn't switch them off because they needed, they felt as though they needed to be accessible because they're working from home. They don't have that commute. So all of a sudden they have extra hours. So they're like, you know what? I'm going to pump this into work. So there was that difficulty in trying to navigate work-life balance, especially at the start. Is there a psychological element as well? And it seems to be slightly gender-based according to the, the LEA Healthcare Wellbeing Index that people may feel uh, a certain stress or concern uh, that, that they're, they are working remotely from the office at certain times of the week, that they may not be, you know, they may not be recognised as much or their merits may not be recognised as much because they're, they're not in the office where perhaps management is all of the time. Uh, women in particular f- seem to feel from the, from, from the, from the index uh, responses, women in particular feel a little bit more isolated in a hybrid working situation at times. Yeah, that's entirely possible as well. Um, in terms of a lot of the research, what some things that we're finding in terms of um, diagnoses or supports in terms of mental health. One thing that we're looking at is like, and generally there's a, a very di- big gender divide between different types of illnesses. So in general, what we're seeing is that in terms of anxiety levels, it tends to be quite high in terms of female and depression tends to be quite high in terms of female. But that's a lot of the earlier research. What we're finding now is that with a large, with stigma is very much still a thing. Um, it still exists. It's permeating quite an awful lot throughout society. And as such, all that we can be relying on in terms of accurate numbers of anxiety, depression, mental health, any form of mental health issue are people who come forward with those issues. So whenever you read a statistic about there are X number of females compared to X number of males and using the, the kind of the, the binary sex labels of male and female, um, we're not sure of the numbers because we're reliant on people to come forward with that information. Mm. So every time I read a statistic about male or female in terms of the numbers, um, one thing is that one, we're not really classifying in terms of gender identity, which is mixing now a lot of more modern research is kind of using those kind of terminologies. But we are still very much reliant in Ireland on individuals who come forward. So there's still a huge proportion estimates of people who are suffering in silence. So they're another cohort of people that I don't, generally we do not know how many people we have in the country that are experiencing these in silence. Dean MacDonald of the Psychological Society of Ireland, thanks indeed for joining us. Uh, Up next, we'll talk to a remote work advocate who wants to empower people to be able to work from home. Stay tuned. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leiahealthcare.ie. You're listening to Workplace Wellbeing with myself, Vincent Wall. Believe it or not, the whole idea of remote working didn't just come about during the pandemic. So we want to talk about the rise of hybrid and remote working with the community manager at Grow Remote. Donald Carney, welcome to the programme. Thanks, Vincent. Tell us about Grow Remote because uh, you, you, you were triggered, you, you, you were founded uh, just before the pandemic struck, what, 2018? Yes, it was 2018. It came together as a group of advocates for remote work people who were talking about solutions to local problems. Uh, and a lot of those were involved with the Remote Hubs network. A lot of people were employees in remote-first companies, but also people who had questions about maybe the, the future of work and started out as conversations in pubs and, and then a WhatsApp group. And then people started going out and maybe going to into the local communities and started to have more conversations. Turned into a bit of a movement. We had our first conference then, our very first event in 
Tralee in 2018. And since then, it's, it's, it's developed. And what's been the trigger for both its foundation, uh, osmo- almost osmotically, as you describe it there, and, and for its growth? Obviously, the pandemic has accelerated it with more people working fully remotely or in a hybrid situation, as we've been discussing. But uh, were there wider issues such as, you know, the, the, the death of smaller communities in Ireland, the, the, the stress and, and the environmental issues of, uh, involved with long commutes, all of that? Yeah, it's important. It's important to maybe go just before COVID because it's changed our thinking completely. It's accelerated us into the future. So yeah, before COVID, 2018 time, we were seeing uh, yeah local communities really struggling to survive. And we saw in, uh, initiatives and efforts to try and revitalise and reinvigorate local communities, such as the Remote Hubs Network. And we had... Uh, even just to see that develop from the enterprise centres and the enterprise hubs like the Guinness Centre in 2000 setting up Dogpatch 2015 uh, and then the Portishead in, in Galway 2016 and then we had Ireland's first rural co-working hub in the Ludgate Hub in Skibbereen. Mm. And that was a bit of a game changer in that it was the result of a local community coming together to try and bring people, bring employees, bring workers to keep them there and to, to have sort of world-class facilities to help them do that. But the, the big part of the question and, and the big thing that Grow Remote was stuck on in those early days was the, the employers and the companies and trying to get them to see remote as an option. Now, as I said, the, the, the pandemic has, has accelerated the whole development and more and more people, uh, not just working from home or working in community hubs in their local town or village, but actually moving out of the cities and physically relocating back, back to their original homes or whatever. What are the issues that have arisen from that in terms of the kinds of supports that uh, Grow Remote sees that both employees and employers need in this new scenario. Yeah, and you're exactly right. It's it's looking at all sides of the coin and, and looking to the conversations with employers and also with employees and then talk to local communities about what they need as well and seeing, I suppose that's kind of Grow Remote's grassroots, like really trying to see the community impact. But it very much started out with conversations with employers. But it's interesting even to, to look at the the impact that these early conversations with employers had. And we've just uh, just launched our Remote Alliance playbook. And this Remote Alliance started in September last year. So 12 months in, we've been talking to Vodafone, eBay, Liberty Insurance, and um, we've been trying to put together the the solutions, the, the questions, the discussions around remote. And a lot of it has turned into case studies on hybrid and how they're doing it. And really it's it's brought up some amazing sort of knowledge and learnings. And one of them is that some of these companies and across our employer partnerships network, we've developed these relationships with remote first companies, but also hybrid companies that are interested in 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 moving into a transition to remote. Mm. And we've seen a few sort of patterns. One is that the companies just want their people at home. So sort of option one is home. Home all the time. Home all the time. And that could be for sort of data sensitivities. That could be because of the type of work that they're doing. They think the most secure and most controllable environment might be the home office, which again has its challenges. How do you, mm. you know, keep that up? How do you maintain, look at the insurance and, and that? And not everybody has a home office that's functional. And, and psychological aspects as we were discussing. Yeah, with you. yeah. And, and the number one challenges that we see in the community are social isolation. And then a quick, uh, a close number two often is uh, poor broadband, especially yeah. in rural areas. But the second model that we see is home and office, where people are trying to get people in. And this is kind of the mainstream hybrid now that we're seeing. 
That's how most people see but, hybrid as Yeah, being most people, most yeah. employees in, in the knowledge sector would probably be in some version of this. But then there's another one, which is home office and hub, which a lot of the remote first companies, a lot of the companies that have maybe adopted remote early on, they were doing this and trying to build this in because they were already tied into the, the hub network and they see the local benefits, the community benefits, but also the benefits for, for them in terms of keeping their employees connected to the local community and the benefits that we see from that. Um, and a lot of these companies offer stipends so that they, they can, it's not coming out of their employees' pocket. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to see even just the different models. And as I say, I say, as we always say, like every month that the conversation is developing. And, and there are some very large organisations that you're partnering with now in that regard, which, which, which is interesting in itself. What are what are some of the, the the actual practical issues that are arising for for companies large and small? Um, you know, where the hybrid model may be working in principle, but that there are, there are issues of communication, management communication with employees, mm-hmm. keeping that communication line open, ensuring employees who are only coming in one or two days a week from a remote location. That you know that they are being, um, they're 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 every much very bit as much in view as the people who are there more frequently. Uh, is there a lot of of training involved, both training of HR professionals or management professionals, but also training about how they interact with employees mm-hmm. now in a new hybrid situation? Yeah, and ESB is the other member of the Remote Alliance, and we actually brought together a lot, lot of our employer partners and the Remote Alliance into uh, a city centre, into Dublin, into a, a meeting. And it was amazing, the sharing and the openness and actually the learning that came out of that because they were very, very honest about the challenges and they spoke about challenges with communication, workplace culture and mm. how to keep their brand culture alive when it's not tangible in the room. And, and interesting, you mentioned training. Like we, as Grow Remote, have spent the last four years, which is, you know, not a lot of time, but if you look at those four years, two of them pre covid two of them during COVID. It's a fascinating combination and we've been able to drill down into the best practice because we reached out to companies such as remote first employers and then also these maybe office, traditional uh, type uh, offices. And we've been able to bring out all these training and now we are offering a leading remote teams course. And this is an eight week course, which is very intensive, uh, requires a few hours a week. Um, But the, the amount of companies we see coming through this that are really lapping this up this year and a lot of them would actually in turn give back to the training and that's a big part of our community based in 2018 around the Mehel model where people come together in times of need and it's like stronger together so the the community spirit amongst Grow Remote is fascinating and that's why it's really important that we're bringing in employers and talking to the employees and going out to local stakeholders in the local community that kind of sums up what we're trying to do and this give this this give first mentality is, is a beautiful thing to see, and it's brilliant that our employer partners are, are doing that. We're seeing the whole the whole network of of remote working hubs grow exponentially, almost with with strong support from from government, central government, from agencies like Enterprise Ireland. Um, there's there's obviously advantages both socially for for employees that can work there, but also I presume for employees in terms of of access, cybersecurity, those kinds of, of of supports that 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 modern working requires. What, from your experience, has been the benefit for for the small towns and villages where these remote hubs are are have opened or are opening? Yeah, I think we we speak every day to to thousands of members of the community that we have a, a grow remote online forum where people can can share challenges, share benefits and, and communicate and share even job postings and help each other out. 
And what keeps coming back is the the benefits of of people being able to live in a community where they choose. And that could be their home community where they grew up. It could be a chosen community. Uh, and this idea of participating locally really is the, the basis of it. So you can live, work and participate locally. That's that's what we're trying to encourage. And we see the benefits um, such as local community spend, like in terms mm. of money, people giving back, donating their time to the local sports clubs, to local dance classes, language classes for, for people coming in trying to learn English or local spend in community uh, cafes and in restaurants or, you know, just keeping businesses alive. And do you think it'll bring life back to a lot? I'm from a small village myself originally. Do you think it'll bring life back to villages, not just in terms of of greater spend, uh, greater community activity, sporting activity, but also perhaps a lot of the the vacant properties, people might actually move in and renovate them again and bring bring residential life back to to the centre of these towns. Well, I think that's the vision, Vincent. We have to look at it realistically. There are loads of challenges and and there has been a lot of government investment and 100 million so far into the the Hubs Network alone. And the Rural Enterprise and Development Fund was a massive sort of uh, addition to to these rural hubs and and trying to do what you're saying, to try and redevelop, reinvigorate, revitalise local communities. However, there are challenges and, and, and what we see as maybe the main challenge is actually coming from the employers because firstly, employers need to advertise remote jobs mm. because otherwise people can't get them. And if you imagine the 80,000, we, we know that there are 80,000 remote jobs out there and they're, they're waiting, they're waiting to be, to be taken and they could be taken across anywhere, across Europe, across the world. We want them in Ireland because we want people to be able to have these jobs in the local communities and trying to bring them in, you need an infrastructure. And actually, internationally, Ireland's infrastructure is solid. But the awareness is 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 not there yet in these local villages like where you're from or where I'm from. So we need to do that work. But the next challenge is to get the employers to actually build in this uh, support of co-working. Wherever it is, maybe it's one day a week in a hub, maybe it's you know bringing people to a certain place, giving them hot desks somewhere. But we see that the stipends for this type of co-working can have massive benefits for the local community. And like I was in Longford, uh, they're doing a bit of work in Longford with the local Grow Remote chapter recently. And there's a hub in Edgerstown called Coworks. And there are two uh, employees of Glowfox there, which is one of our employer partners. And they're they're fully remote. They can choose where they where they can live. And they've both moved back home. And now, So that's two people now back there. And they are loving being back and just being in their home streets. Don Carney of Grow Remote, thanks indeed for, for talking to us and the best of luck with, with your own enterprise and with the whole hybrid working uh, concept. And my thanks to all my guests this week on this edition of Workplace Wellbeing. You can listen to or download the podcast at newstalk.com and be sure to subscribe to the series. Thank you for listening. Workplace Wellbeing with Vincent Wall. Brought to you by Leia Healthcare. Download the full Workplace Wellbeing Index now on leahhealthcare.ie.